good to be in the Word of the Lord today. Hallelujah. I need him. I don't know about you. Good God. We come to the sixth appearance of the Lord to a man by the name of Abraham. Verse 1. Genesis 18.1, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. He sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in my sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. First part of the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis, we have a theophany of the Lord. He comes with two angels, and the Bible tells us at this point that he makes a declaration concerning the son that Abraham will have along with Sarah. And then God reveals to Abraham a secret that he's about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's look first of all about the son. Verse 1, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. He sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. So what we have here is Abraham is there at his tent uh, obviously, this tent is not the kind of tent that you would think about. Some small tent. This thing, that tent he had was as big as this room. I don't know if you realize this, but he's a, he's a very, very wealthy, if you will, shake in that culture. So he has got a large, large tent. And the Bible says that he's sitting in the tent uh, door in the heat of the day. He looks up and he sees these three men begin to approach him uh, from the distance. The Bible tells us that one of those men is none other than the Lord himself in a theophany form. It is God manifesting himself in a visible form. That's called a theophany in the Old Testament. And then the Bible tells us, as we read through the text of the 18th and 19th chapter, that there were two angels that were with God in visible form here. So it's important to us to understand that sometimes we will have angels that will come to us. And in Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says, Be careful to entertain strangers, for many have entertained angels unawares. Sometimes there may be people that come to you, and you look at them, and they look like men, physical people, but they are actual angels sent from God. The Bible tells us in verse 2, he saw three men. But the Bible tells us that one of them was God, in a visible form, and two of them were angels. Isn't that interesting? So we have to be careful about entertaining strangers because we may be entertaining angels unaware. And some people have entertained demons unaware. Amen? So we have to be careful, Hebrews 13, to entertain strangers unaware. The Bible tells us he looks up and he sees these three men standing by him. By him and what does he do? Bible says when he sees them, he runs to them. See, this shows you the kind of character that Abraham had. Abraham was zealous for God. He wasn't the kind of man that if the presence of the Lord showed up with angels, that he was just going to sit there. Amen? 
See, there's a problem in Christianity today. There's no zeal for God. But Abraham did not have that. Amen. That lazy approach to his walk with God. When the presence of the Lord showed up with two angels, the Bible says he ran to them. Are y'all here with me? When God begins to move in our service, we need to run to God. We need to be zealous to interact with the Lord and not just sit there, you know. Now, it's all right. You can sit right now. I'm not trying to get you to jump up and run around the church this morning. But what I'm telling you is that when you're aware of the presence of the Lord, you have to have a zeal in serving God. That's the problem, I'll say again, with many Christians today. They have no zeal for God. They just sit there. Amen. And even when God is moving in a powerful way and you know God is present in the service, some people still keep sitting there because they're not like Abraham. They don't have a zeal for God. They don't have a zeal for the things of God. They don't have a zeal for the church. But the Bible says when Abraham saw the Lord, and he saw those two angels. The Bible says he ran to them. Now, he's almost 100 years old. He's not a teenager. He's almost a hundred years old running. You got to have some zeal for God. Now I'm not a hundred years old, and nobody in this church is a hundred years old right now. But you got to have some zeal for God if you're almost a hundred years of age to get up and run. We got some youth in this church that have never run to God. They've never put forth any effort or any strength or any zeal for God. Amen. But that's not Abraham. Abraham at close to 100 years of age is running, but he's running for the right reason. He's running because he recognizes that's God and there's a couple of angels with him. Amen. So I'm going to get, get some effort involved with it. I'm going to put some zeal. I'm going to get involved with this thing. I'm going to run to God. I'm going to move to God. And that's the way you have to be if you want to be like Abraham. You have to be people who are zealous for God zealous for the things of God because I promise you if you don't have the zeal for God you will never overcome your problems you will not God's given this man a promise 25 years before that he would have a son and he hasn't seen that promise come to pass so he's had to wait 25 years now the Lord appears to him and two angels with the Lord and he's going to run into the presence of God how many of y'all have that kind of zeal for God this morning Amen. You'll run for a lot of other reasons. But will you run for God? You know, you see what I'm saying? A lot of people have a zeal for the wrong thing. They get all bent out of shape for the wrong thing. Why don't you get on fire for God instead of getting on fire for the wrong thing? If you're going to be like Abraham, you, you can't be the kind of person that just sits idly by the Lord is here and I'm going to move and I'm going to run to him and I'm going to be on fire and I'm going to be zealous for him because if you're not on fire for God and zealous for God, you're going to be on fire and zealous for yourself. Amen? And if you're on fire and zealous for yourself, you're going to have a lot of problems you're never going to be able to overcome. How many of y'all got a desire for God today? Amen? And I'm not beating you up. I'm not trying to you know, I'm trying to spank you or anything this morning, but I'm going to tell you right now that if you don't have enough zeal to get up and to move toward God, you see, 
You know, Abraham could talk all day long about how on fire for God he was, how much he loved God, and, and all of this, but it was seen in this man's life. You could see in this man's life that this man was on fire for God, that he was zealous. You could see it by him running at a hundred years of age, running to God. You don't have any excuse. And if you don't have any excuse, I don't have any excuse. We need to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be on fire for His cause. We need to be on fire for the kingdom of God. Amen. The Lord is moving. The Lord has got appointments with some of you. But you're going to have to get up. And you're going to have to move. And you're going to have to run to Him. And you're going to have to get on fire for God. Amen. So none of us have any excuses this morning. Because either I'm going to be on fire for God and zealous for Him and run for Him or I'm going to run for myself. You can't have it both ways. Are you with me today? Give God some praise. That's the truth. So how many sons of Abraham do I have in here? And I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about people who move by faith like Abraham moved. And you're even going to see it in his when he talks about serving God. He's going to tell his wife, you know, to prepare a meal. And, and by the way, wife, when you prepare the meal, do it quickly. You understand? Don't take too long. The Lord is here. Amen? Get the job done. Look at your neighbor and say, get the job done. It's not time to, to wait around. It's not time to play with the things of God. Some of you are going to end up in hell and burn. Listen to me, and I'm not trying to, you know, to beat you up this morning, but somebody's going to end up in hell and burn in that place because you don't burn for God. I'd rather burn for God now than burn in hell in eternity. You've got to make up your mind one way or the other. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise. This man was on fire. He ran to God, looked at his wife, said, when you make the meal, make it quickly. He was willing to serve God. Hallelujah. We'll see it in just a minute. But this is the kind of commitment that Abraham had when the Lord showed up. Amen. In the name of Jesus. He didn't just talk it. He didn't just talk a good talk. He put it into action. And when you saw the man, you saw it in his life. It was demonstrated. Faith, amen? Faith is something that can be seen by your works. Faith can be is something that can be seen by my works. If I talk about faith, that's nothing. But if you see my works, my works prove that I've got real faith. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I want to burn for God. I want to be zealous for God. Because if I'm not zealous for God and burn for God, I'll burn in hell. I'm going to make up my mind to get on fire for God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And in some cases, this is a word of rebuke. It is a word of rebuke. And some of us need to be rebuked. Some of us need to be corrected. Because we're too slow. We're too slow in preparing for eternity. We're too slow about getting our ourselves uh, uh, saved and, and obeying the Word of God. Some of us are too slow about our own soul. Amen? And some of us are too slow about reaching other people. There's a world dying and going to hell. And I've got to have a zeal. I've got to have a fire for God. Because this world is dying and going to hell. And if I'm like Abraham, I'm going to get on fire for God. Amen? You don't care about the lost. You're probably not going to go to heaven. But you've got to have a zeal for God. 
and, and a zeal for the things of God and a zeal for revival and a zeal for lost souls. You gotta have it. If you don't, you're not gonna make it. And I love all of you, but some of you aren't making it this morning. You're just not making it. And I want to tell you something, friend. If I don't let the zeal of God get a hold of me, I'm not going to make it either. Because I have too many things on me that I'm carrying. Too many things, too many obstacles, too many challenges that are coming my way. I've got to stay on fire for Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to keep me out of a burning fiery hell. Hell is real, my friend. And the Bible talks about the judgment that's going to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't it interesting that it's found in the 18th chapter when we see a man that is on fire and zealous for God and running to God and desiring to serve God. And he's putting forth effort and energy and he's doing it with zeal and he's doing it with quickness. And in the same chapter, he talks about people, God does, that are going to be judged by God. You can have it either way. I don't think that's a coincidence that God puts the zeal of a man by the name of Abraham in contrast to people who are going to burn in fire and brimstone. Give God, you hear what I'm trying to say to you today? God's Word is not, it's not an accidental thing. God talks about the zeal and the commitment of this man by the name of Abraham in contrast to a bunch of whoremongers in Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment of God and the fire of God coming upon them. I'm going to tell you something right now. You're either one of those two camps. You're either a child of Abraham or you're a child of Sodom. I want to be a child of Abraham. Hallelujah. Because God is going to burn Sodom up with fire. In the name of Jesus. He said, but Pastor, i got so many problems I'm facing at home. Get up and get on fire for God. God, God's judgment's about to rain upon this world, it's not time for us to be lukewarm in our service with the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm just preaching by the unction of the Holy Ghost this morning. You've got to be a child of Abraham. You've got to be on fire for God because the judgment's fixing to come down. And God needs an intercessor, somebody that'll pray because the judgment of God is about to take place. He needs somebody that's running, somebody that's on fire, somebody that's putting forth some effort, somebody that cares about the lost. Because if you don't, you're going to die and go to hell. And if I don't, I'm going to die and go to hell. But not only that, but there's some other people going to die and go to hell because we weren't what we were supposed to be. So he starts right out in this chapter and shows you what kind of man this is. Once again, over and over again. I understand it's Sunday morning. And every one of us got to shake off sleepiness. We're all tired. Some of us didn't sleep much last night. Anybody here? You didn't sleep much last night. There's a lot of spiritual warfare going on right now. You didn't sleep much last night. So I've got to come in here and I've got to do some shaking. I've got to shake myself in the mighty name of Jesus. I've got to run. Hallelujah. I've got to put forth some efforts and some zeal this morning. I've got to shake off some sleepiness in my life. Hallelujah. I've got to shake hell off of my life. Amen. In the name of Jesus, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. For He is great and greatly to be praised. And if this word that's coming to you is a word of rebuke, it's good, it's good. Are y'all with me right now? The Lord has already spoke to me about one person. 
Hallelujah. He said it's time for them to be rebuked. It's time for them to be corrected because they're not taking this thing seriously. They're standing over the precipice of hell and they're about to drop into hell. It's time for you to wake up. It's time for me to wake up. It's time for us to get on fire. Abraham is my daddy. And if he can run a hundred at a hundred years of age, so can you. No more excuses. Give God a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. I said Jesus is worthy. He doesn't deserve our lukewarmness. He doesn't deserve our carnality. He doesn't deserve us serving Him, you know, in a fashion that doesn't have zeal and commitment and desire. He deserves much more than that. He gave it all for me. And I'm not just being preachy this morning. I'm going to tell you again, I'm not just being preachy this morning. I'm preaching by the unction of the Holy Ghost. Give God a hand clap of praise in this church. And some people don't like this kind of preaching. They say, I've come to church to be comforted. I've come to church to feel good. Well, I'll tell you something. You get on fire for God. You run to Jesus. You get on fire and put forth some effort. Hallelujah. And get rid of your excuses. I promise you, by the time you leave this service, you're going to feel good. Hallelujah. You're going to get your feeling. You're going to feel good. But you got to get God. you got to get God where God needs to be. Hallelujah. In this chain, same chapter, people who aren't on fire for God are going to be burned by the judgments of God. The Bible tells us here, he continues. You can sit down. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? See what I mean? It feels good. You sit there. Yeah, you sit there. You go right ahead. But I'm going to get my victory. That's all right. I know my need this morning. My need is great. And I'm going to get my victory while you sit there and you look at me. Because I need Him in my life. I need the victory. I need something to change in my life. And I'm not just going to talk the talk. I'm going to deliver the goods. I'm not just going to talk the talk. I want you to see it in my life by my actions and by my words. Give God praise. The Bible said he ran to meet them from the tent door, bowed himself toward the ground. You're talking about a great man here. You're talking about a man that is, is shake-like in his generation. A great man. But this great man, when he comes in the presence of God and angels, he falls down on his face. Are y'all with me here today? Once again, we see him, his zeal for God, but we also see his humility. When he gets in the presence of God, he doesn't just sit there and look at God. He goes on his face. He bows down to God. That's a sign of humility. We're talking about a great man. Amen? We're not talking about, forgive me for the terminology, but so you can get the point. We're not talking about some low life in the world. We're talking about a great man. Bowing before the greater. Jesus is greater than me. He's greater than you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People not only need to see my zeal for God, they need to see my humility. Do you humble yourself before God? Do you bow before God? I, I want to say it again. I don't want people just to see my zeal for God. I want them to see a man that is humble before the Lord, that recognizes I've got a need. I need Jesus. I need God in my life. He's greater than I am. So I'm bowing before Him. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Abraham falls... 
prostrate before God. And the Bible says, as he does, he says, my Lord, and in case you don't know who he's talking to, he's talking to Jesus. The Lord of the Old Testament is the same as Jesus of the New Testament. Are y'all with me? Isaiah 43 and verse 11, I believe it says, there's no Savior except for God. God is the only Savior that there is. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that when Jesus was born, the Bible says a Savior was born unto us. So the same one that appeared to Abraham in the Old Testament is the same one as Jesus in the New Testament. He is the eternal God. So it's, if you will, it's Jesus that's appearing to Abraham here in this story. Now notice what the Bible says. Verse 3, he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Don't pass me by. I love it. I love it. I love it. Praise God. Because it could be that they're looking like they're about to walk by and pass by. And he's like, hey, 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 hey. Hey, I'm running out there. I'm bound before you. Hey, 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 don't pass me by. Come on, somebody. The Lord is here in this place. He'll walk. He'll start walking. And you got to, he got to see, he's got to see a desire in you for him. Because if you don't want him, he's going to walk right by you. You got to be like Abraham. You got zeal. You got humility. And when the Lord comes by, you got to say, hey, 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 don't pass me by. I need you. A lot of people just be content to let the Lord just pass them on by. Amen. Somebody used to say, Shikamoshah, pass them on by. I don't know what Shikamoshah means. Hallelujah. Shikamoshah, pass them on by. No, 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 no. No, I want you, Lord. I don't want you to pass me by. Praise God. It's my opportunity. I need a miracle. Are y'all with me right now? Don't pass me by. Hallelujah. If you got, if you got to, reach out and grab the hem of his garment. The Bible said in the New Testament, Jesus was walking by. Amen. A man. Praise God that was blind. He, got, he jumped up. That blind man jumped up, threw off the garment that, that the Roman government gave him as a garment that allowed him to beg. Amen. And as Jesus started passing him by, he threw that garment that the Roman government had given him to, to be able to beg with, threw that garment and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And the Bible said, Jesus stood still. And that man got his miracle that day. Are y'all with me right now? Now put yourself in his shoes if you were blind and you knew Jesus was passing by and you knew there was a big crowd there that day. You're going to make a scene. But it's all right if you make a scene because he had a great need. He was blind. He didn't care what people uh, thought about him. But he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. There might have been some people in the crowd said, just shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Be quiet. Be quiet. We, we don't want to hear you screaming out. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's the kind of, hallelujah, that's the kind of cry that you got to have. I'm not going to let you pass me by. My need is too great. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And Abraham said, My Lord, if now I found favor in thy sight, pass not away. I pray thee from thy servant. Amen. And then verse 4. Is there, is there a short in this? Y'all hear me okay out here? 
no short hearings written in this. Okay, fine, fine. Just make sure you're all right. But the Bible tells us, look at Abraham. He says to them, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet. He said, your feet are dirty, so get some water. You've been on a journey. Hallelujah. And let's get some water and let's wash your feet. Praise the Lord. Uh, are you all with me? And rest yourself under this tree. Come over here and sit under this tree and get some rest. Get out of the heat. Get in the shade. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And then not only that, he was concerned about their food. So the Bible tells us right here. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort you, your hearts, after that you shall pass on. For therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do. And thou hast said. So he said, Let me give some water to wash your feet. Come over here and sit under the tree and get some rest. And you also need some food, some nourishment for the body. He said, I'll take care of all of that. Look at the zeal of this man. He said, I'll give you what you need. Hallelujah. Because he loved God. Are y'all seeing this? Because he loved God, he was willing to give to God. Because he loved God, he said, I'm willing to let your feet be washed. I'm willing that you, you find some rest here. Hallelujah. You're looking for a place to rest. You're looking for a place to rest in God. But I don't know if you know this, but biblically, God's looking for a place to rest. When he comes in here today, is he finding a place of rest? Does he find a place of rest in you? Does he find a place of rest in me? Not that he gets tired. God doesn't get tired. Are y'all with me here? But the picture is this. Does God find a place that he's welcome? In my life, in your life. Wash your feet. Hallelujah. Take some rest. And we're going to prepare a meal for you. And by the way, this is a covenant meal. If you go through these chapters, you're going to see the process of a blood covenant that we preached to you not long ago in the 15th chapter. You'll see that process played out. Are y'all with me here? So now we come to this time where now God is sitting with Abraham and he's a covenant man and there's going to be a covenant meal that is shared there. And so the Bible tells us in verse 5, I will fetch you a morsel of bread and comfort you, your hearts after that you shall pass on for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent under Sarah. Look at this. Another word, hasten. See how he's moving? He ran to him. Now he's willing, he's bowed down. He's willing to serve. He's willing to give what he's got. Hallelujah. Give God praise. Are you willing to give what you got? God's not going to ask you for something you don't have. Are you willing to give what you got? Amen. And so now he's, the Bible says he makes haste. Again, makes haste. These words are important for us to grasp. They're the kind of man that he is, the kind of character. He made haste. He runs into the tent. He starts talking to his wife. Glad his wife was home that day. What would have, what would have happened if his wife was out there working somewhere? Amen? I'm glad she was home that day. Because I don't know how good a cook Abraham was. Amen? But he found his wife at home. Praise the Lord. The Bible said, Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. You got the bread, knead it, make cakes upon the herd. Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, gave it unto the young men, and he hastened to dress it. Look at this, look at the quickness here. Hastened to dress it. He took butter, milk, the calf which he had dressed, set it before them. He stood by them under the tree and they did eat. So they're celebrating here. 
There's a covenant meal between him and the Lord. Praise God. Amen. That's what you see here. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So we see quick, we see quickness here. Abraham hastened into the tent of Sarah, said, Make ready what? Quickly. Don't just make the meal, do it fast. That's that's the kind of man your your father Abraham was, how father of faith. He ran, he made haste. Hallelujah. He tells his wife, you know, what you're gonna do, you're gonna prepare this meal, you're gonna do it quick, though. God's not gonna hang around all day long. You better well, you got the opportunity. You better do something with it. You better run. You better bow. You better make haste. You better make it quick. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. I wonder if the Lord would even come by our house. We'll say, well, we, we, we'll get to it later. Just procrastination. Abraham didn't have that word procrastination in his vocabulary. Hallelujah to the Lamb. When it came to God, let's go, let's go, let's go. When it came to God, I'll give what I got. I'm going to be quick about doing it. Hallelujah. I'm going to make haste. I'm going to run. That's the kind of man he was. Amen. How many of y'all have that kind of spirit? That kind of attitude toward God? God, God, you can't really, I'm going to be honest with you, you can't be a procrastinator and serve God. You can't be. You say, well, I got to sit around, I got to, you know, I got to think it out and I got to weigh everything out and, you know, make sure I can do it. You ought to know that before. I mean, you know, how many of y'all can run this morning? How can y'all can, how many of y'all can still make haste? How many of you can give what you got? How many could bow down before it? How many has got a wife to make a quick meal? I'm not talking about going to Taco Bell and buying it and bringing it home. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Look at him again. I'm going to read it some more. Verse 7. Abraham ran into the herd. He ran to the herd. He fetched a calf, tender and good, gave it unto the young man, and he hastened to dress it. He took butter, milk, and the calf, and he that he dressed. He sat it before them. He stood by them under the tree. And they did eat. Amen. God is good. Verse 9. They said unto him, Where is Sarah, thy wife? He said, Behold in the tent. You know, don't, don't just read over those verses. Those are important verses. God said, Where's your wife? Where's Sarah? When God comes to us men with your marriage today, He's going to come to you and He's going to say, Where's your wife? Hope to God when he comes and asks you where your wife is, you know where she is. Because some of you men don't even know where she is. Don't look at me like that. I'm still the pastor and I'm anointed right now. Hallelujah. I'm glad, I'm glad number one, Abraham knew where she was because there's some men that don't know where their wives are. She's all over the place. God were to come to you and ask you, man, where's your wife? You say, I don't have a clue, God. Aren't you supposed to know where your wife is? Hallelujah. How many of y'all know where your wife is today? Good for you. It's important for you to know where your wife is. Because God's asking some of you, where's your wife? Amen. Praise God. So it's important that he know us, number one, and number two, he said, she's in the tent. 
choosing home. You know, the world looks at that and they, no, 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 she needs to be out there, you know, doing other things. No, she was at home. Hallelujah. She, she, she is a representation of the believing woman of God in the New Testament. Do you understand that? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So Abraham could tell God where his wife is. I'm going to ask you again, all you men out there that are married, do you know where your wife is if you do lift your hand? Do you know where she is physically? Do you know where she is emotionally? Do you know where she is spiritually? Or is she a complete and total mystery to you? Boy, I, why y'all get like this? Brother Jerry Cannon, I'm preaching to you, man. You better get ready. Do you know where she is? I don't even know who she is. Well, God does. God does. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I shouldn't do this, but after I talked to you that morning, remember that morning? Um, praise the Lord. Somebody had a vision. Saw a big man. This big man was going to be her husband. And this woman is in Germany. And she didn't even know what I was. And, and the woman of God was talking to the to her on the telephone and talking to her on the telephone. She said, you know, I was in the street and I was praying. I had a vision of a big man and he's going to be my husband. And the woman of God said, my, my spiritual father just prophesied to a big man. <laughs> now, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that or not, but I got chills all over me. So I'm just telling you, you might not know who she is. You don't even know where she is. You don't even know who she is, but God does. Now, don't start trying to make it happen. Don't get your plane ticket. I'm not telling you to get your plane ticket. Let her get her plane ticket. Is the Lord. Isn't God good? Well, see, we need to know where our wives are. Hallelujah. We need to know where they are. Physically and spiritually and emotionally. Do I know where my wife is? It's important to know. Because God is going to come to all of us and ask us that question. Where's your wife? And hope to God we can answer it, number one. Number two, she's in the right place. She's over in the tent, y'all. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Do you care this morning? Yeah. Do you husbands care? Yeah. I do. I care. Praise the Lord. Amen. Don't just read over these verses. When you read them, think about what, what's being said here. Because it's talking to you and it's talking to me. So, Jared, you got sweat. Why do you got sweat running off your face? Hallelujah. I've never seen you so happy in years. God's good. See, God knows. He knows what's going on. Praise the Lord. It's not because God didn't know where she was. God knew where she was. He knows everything. But He wanted Abraham to know where she was. 
He wanted Abraham to be able to answer that question. Can you answer that question? Praise the Lord. It's important, isn't it? The Bible says, Hallelujah. Behold, he said, Behold, in the tent. He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent which was behind him. Amen. The promise is about to be fulfilled. After 25 years of waiting, are y'all here? Abraham's 99 years of age. Sarah's going to be 90 before this promise is delivered. 25 years of waiting, and the Lord shows up and says, I'm fixing to do something. Amen? Something that you would look at that's impossible. Hallelujah. Because God can work in impossible situations. It is beyond your ability to have children, but it's not beyond God's ability. Are y'all with me? He said, I will certainly, it's a certainty, return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. What a miracle. Something that could, that's going to take place against all odds. Are you with me here? She's beyond the age of being able to have children. The Bible said, are y'all here? It's going, to have, it's going to have to be supernatural. It's going to have to be a miracle. It's beyond all odds. And when Sarah, she's over in the tent. Oh, by the way, the Lord's not in the tent right now. When Sarah hears that, the Bible says she laughs within herself. <laughs> Look at his name and say, ha, ha, ha. In the 17th chapter, Abraham laughed. Amen? Now we see his wife laughing within herself. You know, she didn't get real loud. <laughs> the Bible says she laughed within herself. But the Lord says, how did Sarah laugh? How did the Lord know that Sarah laughed? He wasn't even in the tent with Sarah, or was he? Yeah, he was. Because he's omniscient. He knows all things. Because as God, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So the Lord, the God that was outside of the tent, was also with Sarah inside of the tent. He knows everything, and He's everywhere present. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And so when she laughs within herself, the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? See, it's a laugh of unbelief. She didn't. It was a laugh of carnality. She didn't believe the word of the Lord. And, and basically, if you can understand it, when she laughed in unbelief, she's saying, God, I don't believe you. You're a liar. That's why unbelief is such a horrible thing. Because unbelief is not just your flesh wanting what it's, its way of not wanting to believe. Unbelief is saying, God, I don't believe you. God, you're a liar. That's un why unbelief is so dangerous. Because you're calling God a liar. I don't believe what you told me, God. I don't believe your word to, uh, what to me. Hallelujah. So are y'all with me? When she laughed, she laughed a laugh of unbelief. And so the Lord, who was outside of the tent, was also with her in the tent. And she knew. He knew she laughed. And the Bible says, 
and the Lord, all capitalized. Yod Hey Vav Hey said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Why did your wife laugh? It's a laugh of unbelief. Are y'all with me? Verse 14. God's response to her is anything too hard for the Lord. Look to your neighbor, help me preach. Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's nothing too hard for the Lord. That's God's response. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then, hallelujah, the next thing he says, at the time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not. Now she lied to God. You know, I, I've been pastoring too long. Amen? And I know people are lying to you, looking, looking at you in the face. I, that, that, shock, that shocks me. I remember when we first started a church over on Brass. The people in the church, man, they'd tell me things. I'd take it, you know, that, that they were telling me the truth. You would think, Christian, somebody in the church tell you something that they tell you the truth. They wouldn't lie to you, you know. And I had them standing in the church building with me when they told me things. That, and they lied to me point blank, looking me right in the eyes, bro. They lied. See, I, you know, I, I got, I'm, I'm learning, hallelujah. I'm getting educated about some people, praise the Lord. Because just because they come to church and are standing in the church building don't mean they won't lie. Some people lie. If they'll lie looking at God, they'll lie looking at you. In the church or outside of the church. They'll still lie. That's why you've got to be careful. And the reason why she lied, the Bible says, because she was, she was afraid. See, what happens... Unbelief creates fear, not courage. So because of her unbelief, she was afraid, and that fear caused her to what? To lie. But she didn't just lie to men. She lied to God. Because it was God that said, you laughed. And she said, I didn't laugh. Lied to God. That's serious, amen. So unbelief produces fear, and then fear will cause you to lie, even in the church house. Amen. So I learned, I've learned about people, praise the Lord, I want to take them at the word, you know, especially if they're in the church. But I've been lied to in the presence of God. That's pretty serious business. Because you lie to the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, a couple of people named Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by the power of God because they lied to the Holy Ghost about their giving. The people lie in the presence of God Almighty. You know, this is, this is just a sad thing because the Lord is bringing good news. He's bringing a, a gospel message here. A miracle is about to take place that's going to take you above, uh, beyond all odds, something supernatural and miraculous. And we got unbelief stepping up and we got fear and we got lying because of that. Are y'all with me? I hear the Holy Ghost saying to me right now, God's talking to somebody right now in this church. Because you claim to be a believer. You claim to be a Christian. You're sitting in the church and you have no problem with lying. And the reason why you have no problem with lying is because, number one, there's unbelief in your life. 
And that unbelief is producing fear instead of courage. And that's producing life. You've got to stop lying. Hallelujah. If you're a Christian. Praise the Lord. Because lying is a manifestation of unbelief. It's a manifestation of fear. Hallelujah. Lie to God. That's a sad thing. Because God's bringing, I'm telling you, a gospel message here. And she's not in a place in her faith where she can re receive that message. She's not in a place in her walk with God that when that gospel message comes, that she can receive that good news. This word that's given to her is met with unbelief, fear, and lying. Isn't that sad? Is the Holy Ghost talking to anybody in this church this morning? You know, normally the ones that's not clapping, when you preach like that, when the people that aren't clapping are the ones that you're probably nailing. The Word of God just... You know, the ones that are clapping, yeah, Lord, the Lord, yeah, Pastor, the Lord's talking to me right now. Yeah, 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 right. You're probably the honest one in the bunch. Amen. You got to be careful with preachers and pastors. Sometimes they'll they'll catch you on things, you know. And they say, "Hallelujah!" Somebody say, "Praise the Lord!" And then and then they'll say, "Is any liars out there?" Somebody go, "Amen." <laughs> How many liars I got in the house? Praise the Lord! Oh, you got to be careful with preachers. Hallelujah! They catch you sometimes. And you're sitting there so smug, so dapper and cool. God's hitting you right between them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Give him a hand clap of praise. I'm not going to lie because I don't want to die and go to hell. Amen. I was buying a car one time. Somebody, you know, they're kind of hinting around. They wanted me to kind of color the truth a little bit. I looked at him and I said, that's a moral thing with me. I'm not going to die and go to hell. You're not going to get me to color the truth. It's a moral thing. Give God praise. That's, that's a work of the flesh. You need to get in a place. You want that devil a lion cast out of you? I can't cast the devil a lion out of you. you got to get in a prayer room and pray through. you got to get the victory over your flesh. That's a work of the flesh. The devil is a lion. Hallelujah. If you're a child of God, you should be a truthful person. Oh, see, about this time right now, I'm preaching. That's when people get up and walk out. Well, we know where you are. A little bit too close for comfort, isn't it? Where are you going, sister? Now, don't you lie. I don't know what she's waving at me. She's got some kind of bomb or something in her hand. I, she's going. Like I can see. I'm, I'm years of old age. I don't have my glasses on. Like she thinks I can see. She's just waving something at me. Well, what does that mean? Oh, she's waving at me, sister. Do you know? Did you see that phone? Right on cue, man. That's Bible Center Fellowship for you. So right on cue. 
mean, she couldn't sit there for 10 minutes till I get on a little further down the road. She, up and out of here right now. I don't guess she has anything to fear. I mean, she would have done. Here she comes. She comes back right in. Come. Everybody give her a hand clap. Right on cue. Praise the Lord, sister. That, that was good. That, that was good. That was good. That was good. But that's what unbelief will do to you. Unbelief will cause you to it, that walk, begin to walk in fear. It can happen to any of us. Fear get a hold of our hearts. Man, we start getting paranoid. How many of y'all ever been paranoid before? Then sometimes I get paranoid. Hallelujah. And sometimes it's not about me. It's about other people. It's about other people. Hallelujah. What's going on with them? What are they trying to cover up? God knows everything. You can't hide it from God. God knows everything. Praise the Lord. The King of Kings, the Lord of the Lord, is standing outside of her tent. She doesn't think that God can hear her laugh even though she tried to keep it in. And then to, just to come out and say, I didn't do that. Are you kidding me? Come on, Sarah. Boy, she's really going, she's, she's really going low there, isn't she? Praise the Lord. How many of y'all, some of y'all are too gullible to be, even be Hispanic. You know what I'm saying. I'm going to say again. Some of you are so gullible, you can't even be Hispanic. Praise God. You go out there, people leave this church, you know, and, and then they go to another church and they see you in the store and they want to talk about and tell you all the reasons why they left the church. Are you kidding me? You don't think they're not going to lie to you? Well, after they get through talking to you, come talk to me. I'll tell you the truth. But that's a brother and sister and the Lord. They would lie. Yeah, they'll lie to you. They'll lie to you looking you in the eyes. Look at your neighbor and say, you're too gullible to be Hispanic. Hispanics are not supposed to be gullible. been around too long, man. Brother, you're, you're too gullible to be Hispanic, man. See, he says. See. see, he's still happy, praise the Lord. I lost him an hour ago. Come on, somebody. You need to have some discernment. I need to have some discernment. I'm praying for discernment. You come tonight, you'll hear about a man that had tremendous discernment. Oh, you're here to me today. He, he had discernment. We need discernment in this hour. Pray for your pastor. I think the most important gift that I need as a pastor is the gift of discernment. To know what kind of spirit a person has. Is there a demon in the house? An angel in the house? Is God here? Or is there the devil at work? Or is that a human spirit? Human. Is it human, demonic, angel, or God? I think that's the most important gift that a pastor, a man or a woman of God, have to have is the gift of discernment. Because you're going to get around all kinds. And some of them are going to lie to you because they got hidden agendas. Give me discernment, God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, Brother Tom. It's good to see you back there. I thought you got up and left, man. He's actually back there. Look at him. Right, look at him. Amen. I stayed too. Did you stay? Hey, even my daughter, my daughter walked in here. Praise the Lord God. But that's what happens to people that start walking in unbelief. They let fear get a hold of them. Paranoia gets a hold of them. Then they start lying. And they're lying right in the face of God Almighty. Just if you don't pray for any other gift of the Spirit, God, give me discernment right now, especially in this end time. Give me discernment about that individual, what spirit, what's coming out of their mouth. Are you with me here today? What spirit is it? Are they lying to me or telling the truth? I had one, one family, they're no longer in the church. I'll, I tell you, church, I beat my head wall trying to help that family trying to keep uh, the marriage together you, you'll never know what I went through to try to keep that marriage together amen and I'm not I'm not saying this in a judgmental way you know but the wife she was she was being tempted you know and uh, things like that but she was afraid and I called her in my office and you know questioned her on some things she was afraid and she lied and I, I told her, I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you a spiritual lie detector's test. You read the, I think it's the numbers, the fifth chapter. They took a woman caught, uh, that her husband thought she was caught in adultery and took her before the priest to give her a lie detector's test. And I said, what do you want me to do right now? I, I said, I, I don't believe you're telling me the truth. But I said, I'd give you a spiritual lie detector's test. You better make sure you're telling me the truth because if you if you are lying in this spiritual lie detector's test, the Bible says your belly's going to rot. And I didn't mean that in a literal way. I said the judgment of God's going to come on that lie. That's what I mean. Are y'all with me here today? Well, eventually the truth came out. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> You don't know how many times I'd, I'd meet with them and I'd talk with them and I'd advise them and I'd pray with them trying to keep that marriage together. You understand what I'm telling you? Trying to keep them in the ways of God and the paths of God, you know. And, and making decisions in relationship to their life that was important for them to be in certain things in certain places. And it all blew up and the whole, the whole family left the church years ago. Amen. Wonder what pastor did to them. What pastor did to them to try to save their marriage. What pastor did to them to try to help them. What pastor did was to try to keep their marriage together. Are y'all with me right now today? Try to keep their family. That's what pastor did to them. But I'm here to tell you right now, people lie to you looking you in the face. You've got a question, you come ask me, I'll tell you the truth. If what they say is the truth, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you if that's the truth or not. Because I don't want to die and go to hell just to cover up, if I've got a mistake, to cover up my mistake. So if they're lying or if they're telling you something, come ask me, I'll tell you the truth. If they're saying the truth, I'll tell you. They're telling the truth. If they're not, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. One way or the other. Because I don't have anything to cover up. Give God praise. 
See, I don't know. See, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm preaching on this message right now. I didn't think I'd camp down on this thing. But I was talking to a brother just the other day on the telephone. I said, I'm going to tell you something. When you got two sides of one story, it's hard to sometimes come to the truth because some people are going to share their perspective, not reality, but their perspective of what they think is the truth. And when you get a pastor in that situation where both people are telling you, you know, different stories, and both of them feel that they're telling the truth because of their perspective. What can you do then? Give God praise. You gotta have discernment. People will color the truth, you know, to, to, to put it on their side to make them look better than they really are. You gotta have God. But God knows everything. I said, God knows everything. Are you glad He knows everything? Are you, no, no. Let me ask you that again. Are you really glad that he knows everything? Are you really glad that he knows everything? Sometimes when people talk to you, you have to just sit there and look at them and listen to God at the same time they're talking. God will tell you, they're, 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 they're not telling you the truth. You, you listen to God. But that doesn't mean that you have to come out and say, you're lying. But listen to God. Take note of it. Hallelujah. Now, if the Holy Ghost comes on you and says, you know, you tell him, you're lying, go ahead. But be sensitive to God, whatever God tells you, and you wouldn't be good at that. But I'm just telling you, sometimes we're just too gullible, aren't we? I said we. I'm not just preaching to you, Joshua. I said we. We're just too gullible, aren't we? Hallelujah. I'm praying to God. God, we're making decisions right now. I'm praying to God that they have a good outcome. Amen. Because you're dealing with situations that you don't know. Hallelujah. So we got a woman here. And I, didn't, I don't think you knew that this was in the Bible, did you? We got a woman that lied to God. And then you said. How many are going to start praying, God, give me discernment? God, I'm just too gullible. I, I fall. Yeah, because by, by nature, a Christian, a Christian wants to believe. You know, they, they, a Christian by nature, if, you, if you're a person that tells the truth, you think everybody else is telling you the truth. But you'll find out, Joshua, not everybody's going to tell you the truth. When you become a Christian, you want to tell everybody the truth, so you expect everybody to tell you the truth, but you're going to find out that's not the case. Tell people lie to you, then God is right there. I'm, 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 I'll tell you one thing. I'm surprised that God didn't strike her dead. He struck Ananias' apology. Amen. The Bible, God's response. Are y'all with me? Verse 15, Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. He said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. No, Sarah. You denied that you laughed? God says, No, Sarah, you laughed. Okay? Just came right out and said, You lied. You laughed. Come on, church. If we're Christians, we shouldn't be lying about anything. I said about anything. That's serious business. God's going to come to you and say, no, you lied. You laughed. But I was afraid. Yeah. If we would be people of faith, we would be people of courage. And people of courage 
you can tell the truth. Hallelujah. And today, if you've got this problem lying, you need to go to God with it. You need to say, God, I repent of that. I repent of that lie. I'm going to stop lying. I repent. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give me the spirit of truth. You haven't given me the spirit of error. You've given me the spirit of truth. The devil is alive. He's the God of truth. Amen. The Bible says this great promise is given from God to them. It's an unconditional promise. Shows you it's unconditional because they didn't deserve it. Sarah laughed in unbelief, had fear and lied. Didn't deserve it. It was just, a, just because of who God is, the goodness of God that he would step in and fulfill this promise. He said, the time of life is near. I'm going to come back. It's a certainty. Do you understand that? In the face of all obstacles, God can do the impossible. In the face of all obstacles, do you believe it? You don't need to lie. God can do it. God is going to do it supernaturally. In the face of all obstacles, help me preach today. God can do it. It doesn't matter what the obstacles are. In case you don't understand the spiritual principle here, Isaac is a picture and a type of the church. So when I look at you today, I look at people who beyond all obstacles have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. When I look at you, the Bible says, beyond all obstacles, I'm looking at a new creation. You are a new creation. Beyond all obstacles. I mean, it, it seemed impossible that you would be in the kingdom of God. It seemed to be impossible that you would be in the church. But beyond all impossibilities and beyond all obstacles, I'm looking at a new creation in Jesus Christ. So when I look at you, I'm looking at the ha-ha-ha of God. You are the ha-ha-ha of God. You are the Isaac of the Bible. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm looking at the ha-ha-ha of God. You're a new creation. Beyond all possibilities. Beyond all obstacles. Hallelujah. How many of you know that that's the truth about yourself? Jesus looked at the disciples and says, What's impossible with man? With it's possible. Look at your name and say it's possible with God. Hallelujah. I believe it. I've seen miracles. Aha of God. Creation. Verse 16. Now God is going to give this man a secret beyond this promise of the Son. He's going to let him in on some judgment that, that's about to take place upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord <clears throat> makes his journey away from the tent along with those two angels. And the Bible says that Abraham went with them on the way. He was a good host. He, he escorted them. He didn't just say, you know, 
they came and he didn't just wave them off and they walked off he walked out with them he escorted them out as a good host the Bible tells us they rose up thence and looked towards Sodom and Abram went with them to bring them on the heaven shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do now listen to me God knew what he was going to do he knew he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah but he begins to within himself listen to this carefully God within himself a God who is in covenant with himself he knows he's got a friend named Abraham a covenant man and so God says am I going to hide from Abraham that thing that I do God who is in covenant within himself has a covenant man and he says I am not going to do this until I tell that covenant man what I'm going to do God doesn't have to do that but he does do you understand that because he's in covenant with this man he's going to show this man what he's going to do he's not going to keep this man in the dark about things but he has to qualify this man this man is a covenant man. Are y'all with me here today? But he has to qualify to know the secret. See, God, God, I'm really surprised that the Lord allowed me to even share that with you this morning, brother. That tells me that God is confident about you. Hallelujah. Because God doesn't share his secrets with everybody because everybody doesn't qualify. It, high-level information. Do you understand? You know, the leaders, the government don't ship everything with everybody. They can't. It's classified. Classified information. And so God is going to share with Abraham what he's going to do. But he has to clear the man before the man can get the secret. Does the person qualify woo, for God to reveal classified information? Do you understand what I'm telling you? How many know what want to know what God's going to do? Well, He doesn't tell everybody what He's going to do because everybody doesn't qualify for that kind of information. Okay, so first of all, God is going to clear this man for the secret message, for the secret word. And so what does he say? He says, verse 19, for I know him. We'll back up just a little bit. Verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I can't hide from Abraham because number one, he qualifies in the area of influence. You don't give this kind of information to people who don't have any influence. It's not good. They can't do anything about it. But God says, I'm going to give this information to this man because of the level of this man's influence. He's going to impact the world. So he's cleared on the first level. And is the level, it's hallelujah, of his influence. Give God praise. There's some things God's not going to come and talk to you about because you don't need to know about it. 
because you can't do anything about it. But there are some people that are like Abraham. They're going to have influence, large influence. They're going to impact the world. So God comes to those people and says, you qualify for this kind of information because of the influence that you're going to bring as you impact the world. Give God praise in this house. So the more that God reveals to you, if He's revealing you secret things about nations, hallelujah, or peoples, then it is because God has called you to influence not just yourself, but the world. Give the Lord praise in the house. You ask the question, why would God show me that? And cleared for that information. Give God a hand clap of praise. So because of Abraham's influence. The Bible said, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do see in that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Verification. Get ready, Abraham. I'm going to reveal to you top secret information. Because you can make a difference. Give God praise. And then number two, Abraham's private life. What kind of private life does the man have? What kind of home life does he have? Is he a hypocrite at home or not? God says about this man Abraham as he clears him for this information. He says the Bible in verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him for I know him. I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Says, I know how he is in private. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He's going he's to command his children to follow the Lord. Hallelujah. And the ways of God. Are y'all with me right now? He's not just a man that's one thing in public and another thing at his home. He's the same as at home as you see him anywhere else. Are y'all with me right here? So, these two things allow God to clear him for that. Revelation and that information. Number one, his influence. Number two, his private life. God is not going to reveal to everybody his secrets. He reveals his secrets to his prophets. Are y'all with me here today? But those prophets are people who have influence over different aspects of the world and the purpose of God, but they also have their home life. They're going to command their children. Amen. Praise God. In the ways of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And so the Bible said he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Hallelujah. He's going he's gonna to be in charge of his home spiritually. He's going to be the spiritual head of his house. Hallelujah. He's going to tell his children the, the ways of God, command them to walk in the ways of God. Do you understand that? There's no private life that needs to be hidden in Abraham's life. There's no secret life. There's no hypocrisy in this man. See, there's a lot of people who have influence in a public way, 
but they don't have their houses together, their homes together. Are you with me? Give God praise here today. How's my private life? I can't be one thing here in church and one and something different at home. Hey, hallelujah to the Lamb. If I want that kind of secret information revealed to me from God, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. This man can be trusted. His influence will be there. But he can be trusted. If you can trust him with the little things, you can trust him with big things. Do you understand this? Some people can't be trusted with the little things. So God can't reveal to them big things. Hallelujah. I want to be cleared. Amen. I want to be cleared by God to receive information. I want to make a difference in this world. I want, hallelujah, to be the kind of man that has it together in my home. Yes. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. Number one, the cry of Sodom. What is the cry of Sodom? The cry. The cry, the cry, the cry. It really, it's, it's really the cry of the United States of America. It's a cry, the burden of sin. The cry of Sodom has come up before the Lord. The Bible says, and uh, he said, their sin is very grievous. Grievous. Are y'all here with me today? It's great and it's grievous. You could put the United States over that right there. You could put other nations of the world over that right there. Are y'all with me here today? He said in verse 21, God says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. God knows everything, but see, God's going to go inspect the situation. He's an inspector. He's going to reveal this secret knowledge to, to Abraham, but he's, you know, he's not just going to judge without going and, and inspect, inspecting the situation himself. He already knows, but he is a just God. So he said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to go and there's going to be an inspection made on Sodom and Gomorrah if this, if this is true. Amen. Praise God. Are y'all hearing this? Verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abram stood yet before the Lord. So only the angels, the two angels, go over to Sodom, into Sodom, to do the inspection. The Lord does not go into Sodom. The Lord stays outside of Sodom and Abraham stays with him. And those two angels are the one that go into Sodom uh, to inspect, to see what uh, the sin of the people is. Number one, God says it's great. It's grievous. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 16, we see other sins of Sodom. In 16 and 49 of Ezekiel, he said, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. 
These are the other things the Bible identifies as the sins of Sodom. In the book of Jude, Jude talks about the people that dwelt in Sodom went after strange flesh. It was a city of abomination, immorality, and homosexuality. That was God's assessment of Sodom. Now listen to me carefully. I don't want to lose you by talking too fast. But remember the battle with Ketelamir. Are y'all with me? How Abraham defeated Ketelamir and the kings that went to battle against the king of Sodom. And Abraham won a great victory. Are y'all with me? So at force on, uh, and the Bible tells us at that point now, Ketelamir's been defeated. So now Sodom can rebuild what has been invaded by Ketelamir. If the world was looking at Sodom, they would have reported about how Sodom is being rebuilt, how the economy is back uh, where it used to be, and it's it's doing better economically, and it's rebuilding after the battle of Ketelamir. And so the world would talk about how, you know, it's coming up, it's up and coming, and it's doing great, and so on and so forth. But when God looked at Sodom, He didn't talk about the economy being good. He didn't talk about the rebuilding of Sodom after Catalamir's invasion. When God looked at Sodom, He said, I see the sin. He said, it's crying, they're crying, it's crying up to me. It's great, it's grievous. We got pride and idleness, uh, idleness. We have a fullness of bread. Are y'all with me here today? On and on, and we've got homosexuality. That's what God saw. He didn't see an up-and-coming society. He saw a city, a city that he was about to judge. See, that's the difference from the perspective of the world. The perspective of the world, when they see it, they start talking about how great it is. The accomplishments of man. Economic uprising and, and the rebuilding and so on and so forth. That's the way the world would describe it when God looks at it. He said, it's abomination to me. It's full of sin and homosexuality and I'm about to judge them. But before I do, I'm going to go through the process of inspection. And I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do. The Bible says in verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. We see Abraham here, an intercessor. He stood yet before the Lord. The Bible doesn't say he stood behind God. It doesn't say he stood beside God. It says he stood before the Lord. That means face to face with God. Remember what God says in the Bible? He says, seek my face. An intercessor, which Abraham is about to become, stands in front of God, seeking God's face. Not behind God or beside God. The word intercession means, literally means to interfere. It means to be in between, to go in between. Are y'all with me? So what we have here is we have Abraham standing in front of the face of God, seeking his face as an intercessor. 
as a, a go-between, as an interferer, if you will, standing between God and what God is going to do. That's what an intercessor does. If you look in Isaiah 59, we see here in the prophet Isaiah, the Lord is looking for an intercessor. In 59 and 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. See, God, Isaiah 59, 16, was looking for an intercessor and he wondered that there was no intercessor. He wondered that there wouldn't, there wouldn't be anybody that would seek his face, that would stand before him in what he was about to do in judgment. He, he, he wondered at the fact that nobody was willing to pray. Amen. To intercede. To stand between God and what He was about to do. You know God's looking for intercessors right now? Abraham stood yet before the Lord. When we get to this passage right now, there's so much in the Bible, so much in the Bible. I could have, I could have stopped preaching with the promise of the Son, but I felt Lord of led of the Lord to continue to preach to you about how He reveals His secret to His men, His covenant man. And what this covenant man does is becomes an intercessor. He stands in the face of God, in the front of God, in between what God is going to do and God. And He begins to pray. This is a, a teaching on prosecology prosecology simply is the theology of prayer. If you want to understand prayer or prosecology you have to look at this story concerning Abraham. It's extremely important. For the Bible tells us he's standing before God as an intercessor. The first thing we learn here is verse 23, Abraham drew near. You have to be close to God before you can pray. Do you think drawing near to God is the same thing as prayer? No. What he's teaching us here in prosecology in this study on prayer in intercession is that the first thing you have to have is closeness to God. You have to draw near to God. And as you walk close to God, then you pray. See, a lot of people don't pray because they don't walk close to God. So the Bible says Abraham drew near to God. Are you with me? And he begins to intercede. Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He didn't intercede for Sodom. He didn't say to God, don't judge Sodom. He said, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, up to this, up to this point, God has not told Abraham he's going to destroy anything. But Abraham has discernment. And he knows that the judgment of God by discernment is fixing to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So he stands in the face of God before God and he begins to pray. He doesn't pray for Sodom. He prays for the righteous that are in Sodom. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham is concerned with the righteous. He knows God is going to judge Sodom. He's not asking God not to judge Sodom. But he's concerned with the righteous in the city of Sodom. So he begins to intercede. Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous 
within the city with thou also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein. If there's only 50 righteous, would you... Now notice this. I want you to see something very interesting. He says, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare Sodom? He's concerned about the righteous. But he says, if there's only 50 righteous, is that enough to hold back the judgments of God upon that nation? If there's only 50 righteous in that city, God, would you spare that city? Can I tell you right now? And I don't have to preach it. You already know by revelation that it's only because of the righteous that are in the United States of America that this, this nation is not in ashes right now. It deserves the judgments of God. But because you are in the nation, hallelujah, give God praise in this house. Because, because a woman of God is willing to go to Zambia and be there, hallelujah, and raise up a conference on the behalf, hallelujah, of the things of God. That's what holds back the judgments of God. Are you with me here, judgment? Our nation deserves to be judged. Somebody said, I believe it was Billy Graham a long time ago. Are y'all with me here? I believe it was him, that, the one that said it. That Hallelujah. Today, if God doesn't judge America, He will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because we have the same kind of sin in this nation that was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the only thing that's holding the judgments of God back upon this nation is because the church of Jesus Christ, because of the righteous that are in the United States of America. The Bible said, God, He said to God, if there's only 50 there, would you spare it? For the righteous sake. Are you with me here? Give God praise. Do you understand? Do you understand, people of God, that you're holding back the scepter of God's judgment? If it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for us, hallelujah, and other people in the United States of America, God would have already judged it. It is you that's holding back the scepter of judgment right now. There's only 50. And then Abraham continues to intercede. And he says, for adventure... There's not 50, but 45. Oh, but peradventure, there's not 45. There's only 40. And maybe if there's not 40, what about 30? And if not 30, what about 20? Are you with me right now? And Abraham keeps on continually interceding from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20. And then the Bible says... Are y'all here? He goes on. I'm not going to read all the verses, but that's the gist of it here. But as he is interceding, standing before God, draws near to God, begins to intercede on the behalf of the, those people inside of Gomorrah, the righteous. He, he says, he addresses God in a term of respect. He said, that be far from thee to do after the manner to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee shall not the judge of all the earth do right. This is first mentioned, the first time it's mentioned, the judge of all the earth. He comes to him in respect. He doesn't say the man upstairs. He doesn't call him Big Daddy. He says, you're the judge of all the earth. When you intercede, when you pray, you, 
you 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 uh, use terms of respect to God. He's the judge of all the earth. You don't call him Big Daddy or or the man upstairs. You're talking about the judge of all the earth. He goes all the way down to twenty, and then he gets to that point. Are you with me here? verse 31 he said behold now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord peradventure there shall be 20 found there he said I will not destroy it for 20 cents I want you to notice something every time he said it six times he said if there's 50 the Lord said I won't destroy it he said if there's 45 the Lord said I won't destroy it he said if it's 40 the Lord said I won't destroy it he said if it's 30 the Lord says I won't destroy it he said if it's 20 the Lord says I won't destroy it a positive response from God every time Abraham Requests. And he's getting a little bit concerned now. Abraham is that he's about to make God mad. But he says, let me ask you one, one last time, one last thing. What if there's only ten? He has the six requests. And God gives him another positive response. He said, there will be only ten in the seed. And without getting into detail today, basically, if, if I had time, I would show you that that covered Lot and his family. Basically, there was about 10 people, maybe more, in his household. That covered, basically, Lot's family. And God said, yes, if there's only 10. He said, I'll spare Sodom and Gomorrah. The sad thing is, there wasn't even 10 righteous people. I want you to think about it. There's more people sitting in this church right now that are righteous that was in the whole city of Sodom. Not even ten righteous. The Lord said that there's only one. And so he intercedes. Verse 32, he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak yet, but once for adventure ten shall be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And I'll stop there. God was willing to spare the whole city if there's only ten righteous He said, Abraham is an intercessor. We need to understand God is looking for intercessors. Why is that important? Intercession is critical because, listen carefully, the sinner will not be able to come out of their Sodom without an intercessor praying for him. Because God has limited himself in this way to be prayer God works by prayer if you can understand it he limits himself hallelujah to move to be moved by prayer and if you want somebody to be saved if you want somebody to come out of Sodom if you want deliverance to take place then there has to be intercession that has to be prayed by you and by me before they can ever be saved. Because they don't have the ability to hear. So you have to pray the prayer for them. 
or they don't know how to pray. So you have to pray the prayer for them. They don't have the ability to hear. So you got to pray for them a prayer of intercession before they can ever even come out of their Sodom. God has limited Himself to intercessors. To work by intercessory prayer. Now listen to me carefully. The reason is because you have the will of God God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Are y'all with me? Another place. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. It is not God's will for anybody to be lost and go to hell. But we have people who are exercising their will against the will of God. And so, the purpose of the intercessor, as you begin to pray for people who are in Sodom and the judgment's about to come upon them, as you begin to pray and intercede, stand between God and what He's about to do, what happens is, God, listen to me, He doesn't come in there and make somebody different. He doesn't come and make somebody be saved. Who doesn't want to be saved? But what he does, as you intercede, he begins to work. Wow. The will of the person is, I don't need God, I don't want God. And judgment's hanging over their head. God wants to save you. So as you begin to pray, you begin to intercede. God begins to work. He begins to send angels and angels start working on them. He begins, God begins to use difficulties in their life to bring them to a place where they no longer say, I don't want God, I don't need God. But through their difficulties, they will say, I need the Lord. And so the intercessor, as you pray, what is happening is God is beginning to work with the will of the person so that they will say yes to God. Now the problem is, is that when you are praying for somebody, and no matter what you do, they just won't move. And, and sometimes they get a desire. They want to come to church. My son had a, a dream last night. He, he told me on the way to church. He said, I had a dream about a young man. He said, that young man went. Now, don't go out of here and say anything. God is still at work. He said, I had a dream about a young man, and this young man wants to come to church, but he feels like he can't. Wow. God gave him a dream of that young man. Now, he know who knew who it was when he saw him in the dream. What do you do when God begins to show you those things or those dreams? What you do is you begin to pray. Because Are you with me right now? Because the person has to come to a place of repentance. The person has to come to a place where they will say, I need God right now. They have to make that decision for themselves. But their will is in the way. And you've got to keep praying. So angels will be sent to them to deal with them. And difficulties will come into their life to bring to them to that place 
of repentance. That's why your intercession is key. You understand? And as you're praying, because you prayed the prayer for them on their behalf, are y'all here? They will get to a place they can begin to heal. And the angels working on them and the difficulties in their life will bring them out of sorrow. But intercession is critical. Do you understand what I'm telling you today? You have to be careful as I come to a close. When you're praying for somebody, family members, children, whatever, friends, neighbors, whoever it is, you have to be careful. Because in their, their stubbornness and their they are willful and they are rebellious in Sodom. And they refuse to live for God. You understand, I don't want God, don't need God. You have to be careful when angels begin to work upon them and when difficulties come to them because you will want to go and rescue them from the difficulties. God sent the difficulty to bring them to Him. You interfere, you are interfering with God. You don't jump in the middle of it and try to rescue people out of the difficulties that God is sending them. You let those difficulties come to them because that is in the will of God to bring them to a place where they say, I have had enough of this. I'm going back to God and I'm making a decision for myself. My responsibility, your responsibility is to intercede for them so they can hear God. Not to get them out of trouble. But be ready. Be ready when they repent. Be ready. Be ready when they make up their mind. I want to live for God. Be ready when they say, I need God. Be ready then to step in. Be ready then to recover. Be ready then to restore. But do not interfere until they get to that place and they say, I want God. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how bad it looks, no matter what the situations is or the dreams are, you've got to keep praying until their will says yes to the will of God. That's the purpose of an intercessor. How many of us, when we start seeing the difficulties come, we want to jump in and rescue? We want to interfere? We see people's lives under conviction. And, when, and, and this is the conviction of God. God's dealing with them. Angels are dealing with them. Situations. But we want to come over there and we want to pat them on the back. And they haven't repented yet. And we want to pat them on the back and say, it'll be all right. You don't do that. You let God continue to deal with them and convict them. You allow them to stay in their miserable situations, their difficulties of life. You allow the angels of God to continue to work in their life. And you don't tell them, it's all going to be all right. You do that after they repent. Because it's not my responsibility. In fact, I'll interfere with God if I try to lift the condition of God off of you, my brother. If I kind of try to your difficulties, are y'all here with me? Why do you think God sends judgments upon nations to shake those nations to repent? 
Give God praise. God is looking for an intercessor. Are you going to be an intercessor? The Bible said in Isaiah 59, 16, he's looking. He's wondering, where are the intercessors? So the Bible says his own arm brought salvation. That's Jesus. Jesus. Do you understand? This man understood because he was such a spiritual man. He understood the importance of standing in the gap and making up the hedge. Abraham did not go to Sodom and try to get Lot out. He let the angels go and deal with him. He let the, the announcement of judgment come upon him. Are y'all here with me now? They left on their own decision. You with me? You don't do that. You don't mess around with that stuff. You play God in. You leave it in the hands of God. You understand? You let angels deal with you. You let difficulties deal with them. Hallelujah. And they'll be the ones that decide for themselves. I'm getting out of Sodom. You hear what your pastor's saying to you? Lot is in Sodom. By choice. He's got to get out of Sodom. By his own choice. But it was the prayers of his uh, uncle Abraham that allowed him to be the place to hear. It was the prayers of Abraham that allowed angels to deal with uh, his nephew. Are y'all with me right now? Abraham didn't go and try to get him out. Lot had to make the decision to get out on his own. And once he made the decisions, the angels, are y'all here with me? We're available. You hear what your pastor's saying? How many of y'all love the Lord? I'll tell you good news as I come to a close. As some of you are greatly concerned about some of your children, God knows right where they are. I said He knows right where they are. In fact, there are two of them right now, a young man and a young woman who is out of the church. And in my family alone, my family have had dreams within the last week about both of them. God is at work. And my instruction to my family members who have concern, as I said, prayer is the first step. And after you pray, God will begin to work. He'll send angels. Amen. To work with them in difficulties. To work with them. To bring them to a place where they come to the end of themselves. And there's absolutely nothing that will keep them out of the house of God. There's nobody that can stop them. There's no devil in hell that can stop them. Because an intercessor has prayed. And now they are in a place where they are able to hear for themselves. And they desire to be in the kingdom of God. But they are the ones that make the choice to be here. It's not because you went and bailed them out of anything. Give the Lord a praise. And so what you have to do as an intercessor, sometimes you think it's just vain repetition. The Lord says, pray for him again today. You say, but I prayed that prayer yesterday. And he says, pray it again. But Lord, I prayed that prayer all week. 
And it's the same prayer, the same prayer. It's repetition, God. And you told me no vain repetition. That's not what that verse means. What you're doing is, even if you're praying the same prayer, you're building up a memorial before God Almighty. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And when, when, he, when he sees that prayer, God, hallelujah, hallelujah, you with me here? It's like a mountain of prayer. It's a memorial that's being built up in the prayer. Hallelujah. He said, i got to do something. Get an angel down there. Get an angel over there. Work this way. Work that way. Deal with that one. Hallelujah. Orchestrate a difficulty here. Orchestrate a difficulty there. Something that will cause them to turn. Keep praying. Keep building the memorial prayer before God. Even though it's the same prayer. Because you have to overcome not the will of God. It's His will to save you. You have to overcome the will of the person. So keep praying. Keep building up a memorial before God. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us there wasn't ten righteous in Sodom. So God couldn't spare Sodom. Amen. But he went ahead and even went beyond the request of Abraham for ten to spare Sodom. He answered the principle and the question from Abraham, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? So God answered that prayer. And he brought Lot. Amen. And we'll see next week. Lot, his wife, his two daughters, out of Sodom. God heard the prayer. The intercession of this man of God, Abraham. And Lot left Sodom. You understand that. If Abraham had not prayed, Lot would not have made a decision. That's the point. You understand. If this is helpful, give God a hand clap of praise. And so God will come to covenant people, those that are in covenant. Now listen carefully. We understand that we're human beings and, and, and we, we deal with the weaknesses of our humanity. You understand what I'm saying? But when you start praying, you, you move into a place that's beyond just your humanity. There's an anointing that comes on you. And as you pray and as you intercede, God is going to begin to work on the people you're praying for, sending angels ahead of you. Difficulties to bring them to a place where they make the decision for themselves. They chose to be in Sodom. They have to choose to be in But your role and my role is intercession. And as I close, I remember a book that I had years and years ago. A book, I even remember the name of the author that impacted my life so greatly. The author's name was Harry Law. And he wrote a book called The Power of Praise and Petition. And in that book, he talked about that there was a city and that city was divided part of the city was a part of another I don't know, another nation or what it was but anyway it was divided in two so I, I'm just going to give you what I remember I think one part of the city was in one nation another part of the city was in another nation it may have been state state 
But anyway, the street literally, he said, went right down the middle of the town, and that street separated the town. Okay? And one, one part of the town was in one state or nation, the other part was in one state or nation. Now listen to it. Services were held, uh, and one side of the town, people responded. They responded to the testimonies of people trying to witness to him. They responded uh, to those people. They responded. They attended the services, so on and so forth. But on the other side of the street, he said, you go over there and you try to talk to people about the Lord, they wouldn't accept that testimony. They wouldn't accept that witness. And and Terry Law began to talk about, he said, what the point? Just that much geography was not geography alone. He said the side that responded to the gospel was the side that intercession had gone up. And prayer and worship to God had gone up. And because prayer and worship had gone up to God, on this side, people responded. But on the side where that wasn't done, the people did not respond. If you and I want people to respond, our responsibility is intercession. Understand. We need to pray for our nation, the judgment of God. This nation is worthy of the judgments of God. But it's the intercessors that's holding that judgment back. Are you with me right now? You need to pray for your family. You need to pray for your friends. You need to pray for this church. You need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray and intercede. Amen. Stand in the face of God before God. But also, I'm going to ask this church once again to pray for the conference in Zambia. Pray that God will begin to send His angels ahead. Amen. The woman of God is fixing to travel there this next week and begin to work more and more in preparing that conference, so on and so forth. But we need something to go before even her, and that's prayer. I'm asking you, please, amen, from now until the conference and even beyond the conference, that you would pray for Zambia, that those people would be responsive to the gospel because it's not about the eloquence of a man. I will not accomplish anything by eloquence. It is because you prayed and we prayed and interceded and God sent his angels before. Those people are going to have a hunger and a thirsty heart. They'll be ready to receive the word of God as God opens their heart. And I'm asking you to pray for the, for the nation of Zambia, not just the conference. Because I believe that this is this definitely the will of God. But we need some intercession to go around. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Praise the Lord. Will you, will you pray? This is the teaching on proselytology that we need. We need the theology of prayer. We need to understand. Because sometimes we get down to pray, and we're praying the same prayer, and we don't see the people moving. They're not coming back to church. We want to just give up. Don't do it. God's working. I promise you, He's working. Send an angel to send you difficulties to bring them to a place of repentance. Thank you, Jesus, for His goodness. He wants to save everybody. But he has to overcome the will of the person. Amen. Let's lift our hands and let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you for your awesome presence. 
We ask, God, that your will would be done in and through this church. Lord, we, we, hallelujah. Lord, let us not stand beside you or behind you. Let us stand in front of you and seek your face. Mighty God, we pray. Lord Jesus, right now for that young man, I'll not call by name. And that young woman right now, Lord, that is away from you. God, continue to work in their lives. Send angels, Lord, to work upon the mighty God. Lord, we thank you for the difficulties that are coming that are going to bring them to a place where they say, I want God and I need God. And they're going to return. Lord, we pray for the sinner. We pray for the lost. That they would respond to the gospel. They would hear that every hindrance would be removed. We pray for the United States of America, God. And it's not too late. Father God, we pray right now for the nation of Zambia. Lord God, we thank you for dispatching your angels beforehand. Sending your mighty angels, Lord Jesus, to do a work there, mighty God, for your glory and for your honor, not the glory and honor of a man. Your will would be done, not their will. Your will be done and not ours. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you real good. God bless you for hearing the word of the Lord. I pray this has been a blessing to you. Dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.